Hello and welcome to another episode of Watch the Game, presented by the Nation Network. I'm your host, Sam Blazer, and I'm joined by Cam Lewis, Editor-in-Chief of NHL Numbers. Cam, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing fantastic, as usual. As usual, yeah. As you know, usual. as as a Blue Jackets fan, as a Blue Jackets writer right now, I don't think there's anything better than the NHL. I am absolutely loving every single second of it. What do you think about the Blue Jackets start? Uh, as as I as I catch you with like a water bottle in your mouth and you're taking a sip. Yeah, I heard um, I heard you talking about the Columbus Blue Jackets, and I decided to zone out there pretty quick. Uh, yeah, like <laughs> it's hard for me to care about the Blue Jackets, but I'd honestly love to see them do well. I'm uh, I'm working on a thing right now where I look at the expansion teams recently. So Nashville, Atlanta, Minnesota, Columbus, those teams from the late '90s, and it's honestly pretty crazy that Blue Jackets fans still bother to hope that this team <laughs> is ever going to become good because their franchise history has been abysmal, no. just like completely, completely terrible. The, the worst part about it, being a fan, is that they were never bad enough to be like number one, but they were always bad enough to be anywhere between three through like seven. So, like as a fan, you're like thinking to yourself, "Oh man, maybe they'll get like a, like a great pick," and then you then you get immediately think to yourself, "Actually, that was idiotic. Why did I ever make that assumption that you know they would make a great pick? The only time they really did make a great pick was when they moved up and picked Rick Nash, and so when of course he got traded out of town." He broke the hearts of like any like, hockey <laughs> fan. Then the lockout happened, and then a lot of people, a lot of people, stopped really giving a shit. So it, 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 it looks like uh, it looks like right now they're well on their way to uh, the best season in franchise history, which is not that hard of a thing to do considering their best win total was forty three wins. Hey, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I don't need the, that kind of banter from you, man. I, I, I just want support and love at, at this, uh, at this juncture. Sure, I'll just. I'll, I'll, I'll just say I'll I'll just put it like this: We are all Columbus Blue Jackets. This is this is the team that everyone and every fan in the NHL can be like, yeah, you know what? Like, sure, let's 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 low key cheer for the Blue Jackets right now. Yeah, exactly. Support them uh, in any way that you can. Uh, but I think this, this Columbus Blue Jackets love fest needs to stop just for a moment because we're going to be having Scott Powers on um, from the Athletic Chicago to talk about the Blackhawks. We'll be right back in just a moment with that conversation. We're back, and we are now joined by Scott Powers beat writer for the Chicago Blackhawks for The Athletic Chicago. Scott, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? We're doing good. We, we appreciate you joining us today, especially before uh, the morning skate for the Blackhawks. Uh, Cam's got the first question for you. Right. Yeah, so the Chicago Blackhawks are in first place in the NHL right now, which I, I guess from uh, Sam and I's perspective, and I think most people outside of Chicago's perspective, is somewhat surprising. But do you think this is something that will continue? Is because their performance? I mean, looking at their stats, it largely hinges on, you know, top six forwards and top pairing defensemen. Like, do you think depth will become a problem, or can we actually expect the Chicago Blackhawks to push for a President's Trophy this year? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's really hard to say. It, it is a bit confusing that they're a top of the league. I think uh, people know they have potential to be good just based on. Uh, their core players, Kane, Taze, Crawford, Keith, all those guys. Uh, the question mark, though, was all the, the new players coming in. You know, um, they're adding a couple new defensemen in Forsling and Kempney. They're adding forwards and, you know, Schmaltz, Mott, Tenestrosa, Hartman. Um, just a lot of questions whether those guys were how they fit in and, you know, whether the Blackhawks could, uh, I guess, succeed with that many young players and, um, and it's not necessarily those young players who have been playing great and some of them have been stepping up and, and been fine. Um, 
it's just um, I don't think they're the reason why they're losing games. You know, I, I think they've been holding their own. Um, and this, you know, the numbers do say the Blackhawks are a bit lucky here. You know, they're, um, you know, they're, they're Corsi numbers. They're, um, you know, the shots are giving up. Uh, a lot of these numbers are, are against them. You know, like, there's a lot of reasons why they should be losing games. Um, and part of the reason why they're winning is, is, is largely because Corey Crawford, I mean, he's, He's been outstanding. He's been really consistent, um, and they, they've been getting clutch goals too. You know, and there's not a lot of margin for error, and, and they seem to be covering it so far. I, I think I was just looking at it earlier this morning. They, they've won 11 uh, one-goal games um, and lead the league in that category. So, um, you know, they're very tight games, and, and they're pulling these games out. Even the last three games, you know, the last three games go, uh, go go over to shootout or overtime, and. Um, you know, and they're finding ways to get points in different ways, and you know, even the last four games without Jonathan Taves. So, um, so I, I think the Blackhawks uh, they have to be happy where they're at. You know, I mean, they leave that in hell with 35 points, um, knowing that they need to improve in areas. Um, and I think what what they're optimistic about is those young guys, Nick Schmaltz. You know, a guy, a guy that was among the top players in college last year and won a national championship in North Dakota. Uh, you know, if he can take a step, you know, he, he, he doesn't have many points through 25 games, but, you know, it, you know, if he can be better in games, you know, 60 through 80, um, and, and if that's the case for all the younger guys, I think he could, you know, can make up for, make up for some things and they can get better because this isn't a team that can make a trade like in the past. Uh, they're, they're just so tight against the cap and, uh, you know, going forward, the, the cap's even a bigger concern having their sign Artemi Panarin. So I don't think this is a team that's going to make a move at the deadline, deadline like in years past. Um, so they have to bank on those younger guys uh, improving and getting better and, and helping them improve as a team. So um, it is certainly surprising for where they're at right now. Um, but uh, I think there's some reason for optimism among them. And, and, and as long as Corey Crawford's playing like this, I, I think he gives them a real shot to, you know, to, to kind of really compete with anybody. Yeah, you you bring up Crawford, and I at the time when he was signed, it was one of those deals where that seemed it was largely panned, you know, from the stats crowd, and you know a lot of people kind of were even scratching their head from the mainstream media. Um, and now Corey Crawford is easily one of the top goalies in the league. Was this a case of steady growth, or was he already capable of this type of play when he signed? In your opinion? Yeah, I, mean, I was surprised with the contract too. You know, six years, thirty six at the time. Um, they were coming off the the 2013 Cup Championship, but at that point he was, you know, he he was good enough to obviously win a Stanley Cup. Um, but the overall numbers was he was, you know, a little bit above average goaltender. Um, even that year, he had shared the net with Ray Emery a lot throughout the regular season. He hadn't really shown um, that he could be that number one, that consistent, at least elite number one uh, through a whole, you know, 82 game season. And um, I, I think at the time, a lot of people were questioning why the Blackhawks were making on Crawford being the guy. Um, and, and you know, Blackhawks. He did. Uh, I, I guess you know the fact the Blackhawks were so good at possession, and um, and you know a lot of those numbers you look at that just they, they were they were driving in it for him, and, and he didn't have to work as hard. And um, and that that certainly changed the last few years where the Blackhawks possession dropped off. Um, you know, they're 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 having more shots against. He had less shots for. Um, and Crawford's having to work. And um, in the last you know the last two years especially last season and again this year he. Uh, he's proven to be a lead goaltender, and I don't think that was the case even the last, um, you know, where he was really good in the playoffs so when, when they won two cups with him in that. And he was obviously good enough to win cups, but uh, overall, again, I don't think he was a great goaltender. And the last two years have changed where 
um, you know, he talks a lot about experience, you know, just uh, finally kind of coming into his own, understanding the league, understanding how to play situations. And um, and, and you see that sometimes with goalies where just uh, it clicks later in life. And he's, uh, I think he's 31 now and um, maybe has a few more years at this level. But, um, yeah, I, I think just the last two years there were that deal at one time it, it seemed like a you know maybe a bad deal for the Blackhawks, and uh, now it now it seems like a steal where you know he's I think he's eighth or ninth uh, highest cap hit among goaltenders, um, and the fact that you know he looks like he could be another Vezina candidate, um, you know I, I think that has a you know pretty good payoff for the Blackhawks. So um, yeah, in the last few years he's he's been at a different level than um, than he where he, where he was even when they won the last two cups. So a lot of people um, when talking about like a Chicago Blackhawks unsung hero they talk about you know Corey Crawford like you just mentioned but I think at this point based on his performance in the past two three seasons like you said we've come to expect this level of performance so for this year 2016-17 I mean we hear the names all the time Keith Taves Kane whatever but who would you say has been the Blackhawks unsung most valuable player who's the guy that you didn't expect to be really good that's been a key contributor to their success this season it's weird to say, but I think it has to be Marion Hosa, um, where he, his you know his career speaks for itself. Uh, but she, but I think a lot of people had written him off as uh, you know his best offensive days were behind him. Um, even for him, you know, talking to him at the World Cup, uh, you know, ask him about lack of scoring the last couple of years and his shooting percentage, and um, and and he you know he admitted you know maybe age was catching up to him, and he's he's thirty seven and. Uh, maybe it's you know it's just it's a different part of his career and um, you know he was focused on you know being more of a defensive player as he has been you know in the last for a while now that you know that's really been a go-to part of his game when the offense isn't working and um, and, and there was even the thought that the Blackhawks were going to move him to the third line and and that him and Marcus Kruger would be more of a, a combination and, you know he'd see more defensive zone starts and you know they they, they experimented with that last year in the playoffs so it was something that Joel Quinville liked so. Um, everything kind of led up to, you know, this is what Hostel is going to be for the rest of his career, and that's fine. You know, I mean, he, he's a really good, you know, he's great on the forward jack and back check, and he can help you in ways. Um, so for him to come out and, and uh, to have 12 goals at this point and four game winners, and um, I, I don't think anyone uh, could have saw this coming, especially him. Um, you know, he, he's been speaking to that just, you know, having a long, long off season for the first time and, uh, you know, in a while, you know, he thought that really benefited him, and he feels rejuvenated. And um, you know, this is a guy who scored 13 goals last year in, in 60 plus games, and um, you know, he hit 12 this year. And, and I, I think he's, he's going to get over that 13 mark this season. So, um, yeah, I think that's the one that was unexpected. Where um, and when we talked about this coming into this year, like just where you kind of slot this team to be, um, I, I think you kind of slotted closer to be, you know. Maybe he'll get you ten goals. You know, you can contribute in some way. But for him to be scoring as he has, it's um, you know, it's one of the reasons, uh, a big reason why they're they're so successful at this point. For sure. Now, one of the pieces of depth last year that really helped out the Blackhawks was Artem Anisimov. Um, this year, he's almost been near a point per game pace. Uh, what do you think of his output thus far? Do you think he can keep that up uh, playing with who he's playing with? Yeah, you know, and he's the other guy too. Where you know. I, Kane and Panarin are the headliners on that line. Um, and even, you know, that line was even together at points this season. So, um, you know, Nisimov was playing with Panarin and Holosun. Um, you know, last year the Blackhawks were pleasantly surprised with Nisimov's, uh, you know, his, his output and the fact that he was maybe more of a goal scorer than they thought. And, 
you know, their hopes was that he'd be, uh, and he is the guy that kind of compliments Panarin and Kane, and he gets in front of that. He wins pucks. Um, you know, he's pretty solid defensively. Um, but the offense they get him, they're, they're getting from him. They're, they'll certainly accept and um, you know, gladly have because uh, it wasn't expected, and he, he has been so consistent so far this year. And he, you know, he scored another key goal last night. It was the tenth of the year, and um, yeah, I don't know if it's sustainable just the fact that he hasn't done it throughout his career, but. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's not even playing with Kane and, and uh, Panarin. I, I think it, and Eastmoff has some skill. He thinks the game at a high level. Um, you know, he, he understands where to be and, and, and loose pucks around the net, how to get rebounds. And um, he's just kind of jumping on the puck at the right time and being at the right place at the right time. And, and it's really paid off. So, um, you know, that, that kind of comes and goes sometimes in games and in, in, in situations. But I, I think over time, if he sticks to those things and, um, you know, even even Kane and Panarin right now aren't exactly clicking as they are and have in the past, and part of that has to do with Kays being out of the lineup and they have kind of some different matchups. But I, I think if those guys could go on a little bit more too, I, I think that ultimately kind of boosts the Nisim off too. So, um, yeah, you know, he's, he's he's been another surprise this year too where um, I don't think anyone expected him to have this year too. So when you look at Nismoff and Holza, um, and, and you look at numbers across the board, I, I think they're making enough for some other people right now. So speaking of that line, uh, Kane, Panarin, and Isimov, um, we have Artem Anis- uh, sorry, not Artem, um, Artemi Panarin, I get the two mixed up. We have Artemi Panarin at the end of this season in need of a new RFA deal. And based on the season he had this year and the one he's, and the one he had last year, he's, you know, quickly becoming one of the league's elite forwards. The Hawks already in their like cap bind, how on earth are they going to, you know, keep him around? Or is he going to become, you know, this summer's, version of the uh, Chicago Blackhawks cap casualty. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's a huge concern for the Blackhawks. And, um, you know, I think coming into this year, a lot of people thought $6 million was maybe the figure. And um, the fact that Panarin's, you know, again, near the top 10 in, in points, um, and, and he's done so largely this season without, uh, you know, on the line with Patrick Kane or even power play success, um, I think it's it's bumped that number to closer to seven, and you know maybe six point seven five, something like that. And um, you know every cent makes a huge difference for the Blackhawks. Now we're right up right up against the cap. Now not a lot of money coming off the cap. Um, you know it's when you, when you look at who they may have to resign extra Panarin being uh, the big one. But you know how do they if they want to keep Campbell if he wants to stick around, he give them a deal, and he wants to you know he, he makes Chicago home year-round now, and I, I think he's motivated to stay, and you got Michael Kempney who, who's stepped in and, and played well, and then um, and, and then you just got to, you have everyone else who's already signed, you know, I, I think they have 15 or 16 players signed for next season, and um, and it's already around $61 million without, uh, you know, without adding the rest of the team, including Panarin, um, you know, when, when you add up the deals at Kane and Taze at 10.5, and, you know, they just gave a Seabrook a deal around $7 million, and you still have Duncan Keith, and both all those guys making five plus, um, and Crawford too. It's um, you know all these deals are on the books for for a bit, you know, a while longer, and um, you know, unless the cap's going to jump up significantly, which which it doesn't look like it does. It, it is it is going to be another case where um, the Blackhawks got to. I think this is more important than where uh, losing Brandon Saad was a, was a significant hit. Um, you know, they were able to get back a, a few players and knee some off and. Uh, you know, they thought Marco Dano was going to be a guy that was going to fit into it, but it didn't. Um, then even having to trade Andrew Shaw this past year was was another one, just a cap casualty. But I, I think Panarin's an even bigger deal because 
um, you know, after two years, he does look like he's only forward, and it's not going to change things. It's not like he needs Kane to succeed. So, um, you know, the Blackhawks are certainly crunching the numbers. And um, the other other thing that the Panera can actually kind of impact his own uh, ability to sign possibly because he has bonuses in his contract again this year that people, uh, you know, if he hits everything just like he did last year, it's around like I think nearly three million dollars. So uh, you throw that on top of what uh, you know already being close to the the cap uh, ceiling now, and uh, they're dealing with the under cap overage, which this past year they had to deal with, uh, you know, it was a little bit over $3 million in cap overage, and that impacted what they could do this season. So uh, you add all in the, add all those factors up, and, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be tight, and, um, you know, the, the Blackhawks may need to move someone and, um, you know, figure out, uh, prioritize if they want Panarin because it's uh, it's going to cost them, and, he is, you know, he's, 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 I think he's about to turn, he just turned 25. So he's not as young as some guys. So he's looking to get paid now. It, it's not a bridge deal. It's, you know, it's a long-term extension and, and, and he's going to want to get paid, uh, you know, what he's worth. So speaking of, you know, looking to move somebody, obviously, you know, trading a huge contract or core player, not an easy thing to do, especially considering the fact that the Blackhawks, you know, they're not the only team in a cap bind. What about the um, expansion draft coming up right now? Do you have any idea who you think the Blackhawks will or should leave uh, unprotected for Las Vegas to grab? Is there a way they can maybe get themselves out of an ugly contract, say maybe Brent Seabrook or something? Is that is that realistic or? No, you know, a lot, a lot of the you know, Blackhawks issue with that is they have all uh, they've handed out a lot of no trade clauses. Um, and uh, you know, Seabury's one of those, and uh, I think they have six or seven guys that are that are already protected under that. So, um, you know, I, I think Kruger's one of them that isn't. Um, they just paid Kruger three million dollars. Um, I, I don't know if they want to expose him just having having to sign him, but you, you do have to make some tough decisions. You know, when when you are that that strap. So, um, I think Kruger's a possibility, someone they could expose. Um, you know, does Vegas see uh, a benefit in having a guy like that who, who plays mainly in the defensive zone and, and is one of the better penalty killers um, for $3 million, it, It's hard to say. Um, I, I think a lot of people are assuming that Trevor Van Riemsdyk um, is the guy that maybe Vegas goes after. Um, you know, he, he's, he's played a few seasons. He, he's still pretty young. Um, but uh, when you look at the Blackhawks, who, just, who, just, who they're able to ex- expose based on uh, – uh, you know, the first and second year deals and, and all the, the no trade clauses that um, there's not a, lot, a whole lot of guys that they can put on the list. So, um, you know, I, I think Kruger, Van Riemsdyk are possibilities. And, um, yeah, beyond that, there's, uh, you know, when you look at the bigger contracts, all those guys are staying just based on, uh, um, you know, on, on the deals they set up. Now, one of the players that definitely won't be moving during the expansion draft is Jonathan Taze. He has a few years left at ten point five million. Um, at the time, he got you know had a matching deal with Patrick Kane. Uh, the deals were somewhat questioned just because of how big they were and how they were doled out at the time. And um, as of right now, is this now a point of concern with his declining production? Uh, is the team still happy with what he brings to the team, or is even regardless of what he uh, is doing on the score sheet? Yeah, no, you know, I mean. I don't... Kane and Taves are paid uh, what they do on the ice, but it's also off the ice. It, um, you know, this was certainly before Kane's controversy and everything that happened w- with him and the law. And um, but you know, they're the cornerstones of this franchise. So I think you got to take that into account too. That they uh, are the face of the Blackhawks and, and they draw people and all those things. They sell jerseys, so I think that's part of it. But 
Um, you know, and, and for Taves, it's, uh, the offense is certainly down, and, and he isn't producing. And, um, I, I think some of that's on him, but it's also, um, you know, in the past he's played with Sharp and Saad, and, um, you know, he, he's had a pretty good line. And um, when, when you look at the left-wing position in the Blackhawks' uh, top six, other than, you know, Panarin and Canavan together, but, um, you know, I, I think some of that, uh, when you talk about those cap casualties, I think it's affected Taves a lot where, um, that, that top line isn't as strong as it has been in the past, and you know, for much of his career, and um, you know, with Holtz and the decline the last years, it didn't help either. So, um, I think some of that's played into it. Um, I also think, you know, I think Caves needs to be evaluated what he does with faceoffs and uh, defensive matchups and all those things. Um, and I think he's still valuable in some of those ways. So, um, I don't think the Blackhawks would ever say that you know they're not getting enough from from Jonathan Taves and when he gives them as their captain and all those those other things. But um, when you when you do look at the numbers, it's uh, he isn't the same player. And um, you know, and the fact that he's dealing with an injury now and and it's, you know reported to be a back injury, there has to has to be a little bit more you know growing concern. But um, I, I think that they're confident that you know Taves still has that high end ability and. Um, you know when he plays with really good players, and I and I think you saw that in, you know he played with Canada in the World Cup that you know he he can still produce and play at a, a large level. But he's not a guy who um, you know like a Kane or Panarin that he sort of needs someone to play with. You know I um, you know I think he Case plays at a high level, but uh, it, it certainly benefits him when he has uh, other elite players to play with. And um, I don't think that's been uh, you know the case as much in the past when you look at when they won the last few cups where he's played with. You know, sharp or sad, along with a younger and uh, you know just uh, younger Hosa. So um, I think the Blackhawks uh, and Caves have kind of um, you know just taken maybe declined a little bit because of uh, some of those cap hits. So we've we've asked you pretty much to talk about almost every single player on the team's roster. So I guess I'm gonna to finish off here. I'm gonna come back full circle to kind of where we started. Uh, the, the central division is usually uh, kind of uh, spoken about as the you know toughest division in hockey. It's it's pretty loaded, stacked top to bottom with a uh, seven good teams. Who do you think is the team the Blackhawks should worry most about on their pursuit to finishing first in the division? And I, I guess how 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 much is a a short bench with a lack of depth going to make that a difficulty finishing first in the division? Yeah, I'd, I'd still be surprised if they finish first in the division. Um, you know, I, I think at some point some of the numbers, uh, unless the Blackhawks play steps up, I think some of these things even out. Um, where it's hard for Crawford to be consistent, and um, you know, I, I think the defense uh, is the one positive where they've upgraded there from last year. But it, at some point, you need to roll four lines, and you need Taves playing well. So um, you know, if those things work out, sure the Blackhawks can finish first. But uh, even looking at Central, I don't think it is as deep as in years past. I, I don't. Feel like it is as strong, um, you know. I, you know, Blues are Blues aren't too far behind the Blackhawks. I, I think people still kind of um, expect Nashville to kind of find, you know, hit their stride. Um, you know, considering all the expectations with them with them this season. Uh, you know, Dallas has had some issues that have been unexpected this year a little bit with their with their defense. And um, you know, um, Minnesota, you know, Devin Dumnik's playing so well. Um, yeah, I, I still think Nashville, you know, they're only what, what, 10 points behind uh, three less games than the Blackhawks. Um, yeah, I, I, I sort of still think that they're a team to watch out for. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, again, this division, it is tight, and I don't think there's a team above and beyond anyone else. So, 
Um, you know, I, I give a lot of those teams chances, and you know the fact that you know, you know, you look at some of the goaltender remakes playing pretty well, and uh, and Crawford and Dubnik, and um, you know, San Luis has gotten better goaltending as of late than than uh, people maybe expected. So, um, yeah, I think those are the four teams. Uh, you know, Dallas has just been so inconsistent. I don't know if you really group them in there as much right now, but um, you know, I, I, yeah, it's kind of a crapshoot for me, but. Um, you know, Blackhawks have put themselves in a good position, you know, through 25 games, and whether they can sustain that, uh, it, it's hard to tell, and they, and they need to get better uh, if they are going to push for that division. But uh, I, I think it's anyone taking them, and, and so these next 50-plus uh, games are going to really determine who uh, who comes up. It really is going to be so volatile. I'm really excited to see how it goes. It's going to be one of the most exciting races, I think, in the league itself. Now, Scott, before we let you go, uh, where can we find you on Twitter? Where can we find your writing? If you've been watching a TV show or if there's a movie that you've seen recently, you can plug that now as well. Uh, the floor is now yours. <laughs> uh, you know, my Twitter handle is uh, at uh, by Scott Powers, uh, and the site I write for is The Athletic uh, Chicago. We just opened up a website in Toronto, too, and they're doing exciting things there. So, uh, yeah, check it out. But, um, yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. No, thanks. And everything over at The Athletic right now has been fantastic. We've been, uh, Cam and I, before we actually got on, we're talking about how fantastic the growth has been over there. So we're excited to see the growth, especially with, you know, you at the helm of the Blackhawks there. Now, uh, Scott, uh, we appreciate you coming on, and we hope you have a great day, buddy. You too. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We're back after a conversation with beat writer for the Athletic Chicago, Scott Powers. What a conversation! Uh, overall, uh, we didn't really get to dive too deep into this cam, but the Athletic is like an extremely fan, like not uh, you know interesting adventure, right? Uh, at least for writers. And today they announced everything that's going on with um, uh, Sean McIndoe and uh, OMG. It's Domi, former guest on the show, friend of the podcast. Um, <laughs> you it, just didn't even try to attempt the last name. Eh? No, I I thought about it for a hot second. I was like, this is you know people don't come on here to listen to me pronounce last names. They come for the hockey talk. Uh, what do you think? What do you think? Athletic, what do you think about the athletic this far? Yeah, I mean it, it's nice as like a I don't know I don't think I'll call myself a journalist, but a young I, like a writery type who's twenty three. You know, it's 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 very disheartening watching people who. When I was, you know, uh, 17, 18, 19, um, when I was getting to university and I started writing people that I look up to and I thought were like phenomenal and I read their stuff and I was like, Jesus, you know, if I try really hard, I can be like this guy. Seeing them get laid off is like saddening. Like, I mean, it was devastating watching Grant Lang get shut down. Uh, I was really sad. I still find myself like going on their archives and just reading old stuff and looking at their layout and looking at their, looking at their, their designs and the way they put their articles together and just thinking holy shit like if this can't even cut it then like what am i doing but it's nice to see something at least someone trying they're making something they're doing something different so the good writers can get paid because you know good writers deserve to get paid it's such undervalued and thankless work but everyone reads it everyone consumes it but nobody wants to pay for it and it's just nice to see that you know people are willing to do so and i think it's like a really like important thing for the future of like quality writing for sure. And before we came on, I actually read a few of Scott's articles um, uh, before the paywall came up. And I was, I was actually like thinking to myself, I was like, this is something that needs to be paid for. And I think anybody who's listening to the podcast should definitely consider uh, you know, paying for a subscription on The Athletic just because of how 
damn good it is. The, the, the group of writers, even for the Chicago-based part, is outrageously good as well. The, the Blackhawks coverage out of this world, the uh, the Cubs coverage, it's all fantastic there. And I think that it needs to be uh, something you need to put an investment in, without a doubt. Um, now, we won't go back to Blue Jackets talk because I know that's you know a little bit played out. Uh, but something I found interesting last night was uh, Claude, Claude Giroux ended up proposing to his girlfriend and then scoring the OT winner on on the all time list of like fantastic accomplishments like within a twenty four hour span. That's got to be like up there, right? There's so many. That's like a nice moment. There's there's so many of those college football ones where you know, a team wins a bowl game and then immediately after a player proposes to their girlfriend like a cheerleader or something. It's always nice when that happens. I know people pretty aggressively criticize, uh, like, sports proposals at, like, stadiums. Uh, I think it was... It, Jeff tweeted something out this summer earlier that, that showed how, how expensive it is to propose to somebody at, like, different baseball stadiums. And it's actually, like, surprisingly expensive. But I think it's, like... I think those are so funny. I, I think, like, sports-related proposals are great. I think they're hilarious. Well, I, it was funny. Uh, I think it was, like, about two days ago, my girlfriend and I were talking, and she and uh, we saw a sports proposal um, this past weekend um, at, uh, on college game day before the OSU-Michigan game. And she, like, looked at me, and, and I'm not even kidding, she turned her head, and she goes, don't even fucking think about it. <laughs> I, think the, I think the best one that I ever saw was um, the Blue Jays, um, their uh, bullpen catcher. This is Jason Phillips. Um, he used to catch for the team, and um, when he was in the bullpen, he wrote his number on um, a ball and threw it to a girl in the stands, and they ended up, you know, dating when he was. I think this is when he was still playing, and they ended up getting married. And where they had their, you know, ceremony was in that that like road bullpen where he threw the ball to her. That's awesome. That's good. I I, I think that there's a definite corny angle to uh you know sports proposals if you're there and like if you guys both enjoy the team hey like more power to you but if you're also someone like claude Giroux, you can pretty much just do anything you want like on that front and be like yeah i'll uh, propose to you here i'll propose to you there he's just like he's kind of just how he is as a person <laughs> uh, claude, claude Giroux, and i think he he scored the game winner in ottawa and uh isn't that also where he grabbed a cop's butt I'm like I, I I'm like ninety five percent sure that's like where he grabbed a cop's butt as well. So Claude Claude Giroux, bit reckless, uh, but you know, congrats on the engagement there, bud. Uh, <laughs> good for you. And uh, another player who's been uh, you know filling up the back of the net was Patrick Line. Uh, another couple goals last night, even though they lost to the Oilers. I'm sure you got a chance to catch that game. Uh, what did you think uh, of the end of that game? What do you think of Line's performance? Yeah, Patrick Line broke into this league and is scoring goals. I don't think anybody expected this like level of performance. He's just so he's so noticeable he's so noticeable on the team's attack. I mean, obviously he's getting like a like like quite a few like offensive zone situational starts with a power play time. I mean he has seven power play goals out of the fifteen, so half of his goals scored in the power play. But it just like it goes to show the value of like the ability to shoot well. I think it's something that we we quite undervalue. Is we look at possession a lot and the ability to get like a volume of shots. I don't know people say shot quality doesn't matter, or whatever. But if you're like a tremendously good shooter, it just opens up. If you can you can be open in different parts of the ice and score from like far away from the net, it becomes so much more difficult to defend. And that's what I mean. It's difficult to defend a player like that because they can snipe past a goalie from 
you know, the top of the circle. And it's, it, you don't have to be standing right in front of that to score like some players do. And I mean, I think this is a guy who, I don't know, we could be pretty much seeing like the, the new Alexander Ovechkin, not quite, you know, the power forward dynamic fall on his back and still put the puck in, but like a guy who's going to, who's going to produce offensively at that level, which is, it's just pretty exciting. It's, 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 it's pretty fitting that him and McDavid came into the, or him and Matthews came into the league at the same time. Cause it's like that new, it's never going to be a rivalry because I don't think the two guys give a flying fuck about each other at all, nor should they, but it's a lot like the Crosby Ovechkin thing. No, for sure. Um, and you know, Scott didn't bring him up when he was talking about uh, central foes that the Blackhawks should be worried about. And I don't think they have to, to be worried about them this year, but I think moving forward, they're definitely going to be a club that needs to be watched. And I, I'm really, yeah. really high on them. Even they lost to the Oilers last night, and the Oilers like got some real big depth scoring, especially from uh, Mark Letestu. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, I that kind of stuff I think it has to be frustrating for Winnipeg because we talked about before we uh, we went on with Scott and the uh, little intro segment about how the Blue Jackets have been suffering. Winnipeg Jets fans. You know, for this little like time in which they've moved from the Thrashers to back to Winnipeg, they've had a little bit of suffering as well. They can't seem to, you know, hold down like a star player to save their life, and they like aren't, you, you know, they almost seem averse to making uh, any moves whatsoever, like NHL player to NHL player, save for you know Evander Kane. Uh, do you think they're a team that should be worried about in the in the now, or should be more in the future? Uh, I don't know the. The Jets are an internal budget team, and I think we knew they were going to be that way when they moved there. I mean, it's Winnipeg. It's a small city. There isn't much money to be made based on a lack of corporate sponsorship. And that was a reality when they got the team. And I think I'm not going to speak on behalf of Jets fans or people from Winnipeg, but I think that's something, I guess, from my perspective as an Edmontonian, I'm quite familiar with is something that you sign on for when you're a, when you're um, a fan of a team in a market like that. You have to understand that you're not going to be a big bidder in free agency. You're going to lose a lot of players too. But I mean, this team's young and like they have a lot of guys like their their top three scorers right now, age 23, 18 and 20. And then, I mean, you said that they have a difficult time we're hitting stars, but they've managed to keep, you know, Blake Wheeler's around, Dustin Bufflin's for around. Sure. Like there's, there's like there's they can make some good players stick and I mean they even got Jacob Truba signed like they're underperforming right now their goaltending is quite bad I think we all thought that either Hellebuck or Hutchison would be an improvement over Andre Pavlik and they still both just kind of suck so <laughs> I think that the the Jets the thing with them they didn't score a lot of goals and they're a good team but the thing with them and it always has throughout the Thrashers Jets franchise history really does come down to goaltending if they could get someone that could stop a goddamn puck they'll probably be a like a good team and uh, that that comes down to a lot of it and I wonder we talked about the expansion draft with Scott as well I wonder what's going to happen there because I a lot of people the thing that they believe will happen is that they're going to expose a goaltender let Andre Pavlik go or you know let someone else go like that but I don't really know what they're going to do on their end because I don't know who will want them. <laughs> uh, definitely, yeah, not, definitely not Las Vegas. So it, it's kind of like it's like a wing and a prayer that you're hoping that this is gonna um, that they're gonna end up getting claimed. But I think that they have a chance to actually still be good in the now. And I think uh, while fans are kind of getting upset about their performance thus far, they have a lot of hope, like still there. And I think that if you give up this early, I mean, heck, the uh, the Predators in their first like handful of games weren't looking so hot, and now they're like you know one of the top teams in the Central. So you need to, you know, uh, adjust expectations and then, um, you know, approach the game and watch the game at a oh watch, watch the, game. the game, watch the game. Oh my gosh, neither of us do that. We're just computer boys. <laughs> we're not actually watch the game. 
<laughs> exactly. No, uh, but, you know, watch the game and realize, you know, this is a team that's destined for big things, at least I think, uh, on my end. Now, another team that I want to discuss, or at least teams, and we talk about them a fair amount, is the, the specific teams, uh, the, L, uh, the LA, the San Jose, the Anaheim. Those are all teams that seem to be performing pretty well. And But a team that I want to talk about, and it's not a team that will be end up being discussed very often, probably throughout the season by us, just because of how bad they are, is the uh, Arizona Coyotes. They're, I, I was watching a game last night for the Coyotes when they were facing off against uh, Anaheim. Was it Anaheim last night? Either way, uh, they were facing off against them, and it's kind of disturbing how bad they are. Because they have some young players there, they have some players that could do it, and I know that John Shaka there uh, is kind of you know doing a slow build, and he's not gonna, you know, he's already sent Dylan Strome back to the OHL. Lawson Kraus is still someone that could possibly be sent to the World Juniors. They, I think they're doing a slow build here. But what are your thoughts on the Coyotes? Are, are you expecting them to be this bad? No, I I actually thought they were going to be sort of not that not terrible this year i mean you know when you have young players it's gonna be like a ride but i mean they they made some free agency moves this year they picked up alex goligoski and that just like hasn't really worked out uh, yeah no they're they're terrible and then i they can still there's obviously it's a, it's a long-term thing and i'd play the long game with the coyotes and their young skill they have but this team right now is just like it's not it's not good at all and i mean that's probably a good thing for them long term i mean I don't know. You don't really gain. You don't gain much from being a middling team that, with overachieving bad veterans. I guess. I mean, I'm probably overstating myself. I mean, obviously, it's good to have those overachieving veterans. You can turn them at the deadline, get picks, whatever. And it's it's always good for your rebuild if your team, you know, plays well because you can build off the winning and the culture and blah blah blah. But no, this team needs you know first, second overall picks. They need talent. They don't need. They don't need to be doing kind of um, what they did last year when they were riding like a 104 PDO throughout the entire year. It didn't make any sense. And yeah, I don't know. I, I'd play the long game with them. I, I trust the management group they have in there. The trust the uh, process. Their ability to, trust the process. Yeah, like they're give it give it give a management group like this a whole whack of talk picks. I'm not even talking about just a first, second, third overall pick. I'm talking about like high second, high third round picks. And you have like a like a prospect-oriented group like this. I think you're going to have a good time down the road. And I mean, I don't know. Like, it's not like uh, their fans are banging down the doors demanding a winner right now. I don't have any fans. So, I mean, there's nowhere to really go from here anyway. So it's you know, take your time and make it good. So whatever. As a small market fan, man, you know, take, taking a cheap shot at Arizona also hurts me. You, you know... There are, there are fans in Arizona. There there are people who follow that team. No, but yeah. I, I think they're very similar to the, the Jets in the way that they, uh, you know, are going to have to, you know, hold steady. There, there There's players there. Do You have Max Domi, you have the Anthony Duclair. I mean, hell, Shane Doan's still there, and he's probably, like, what, 105 <laughs> years old? He's so damn old at this point. But they have some players there that are going to be able to succeed for them long term. And, heck, they even have some under-the-radar players that are pretty darn good. Um, say, like, a Connor uh, Murphy there. Uh, and, you know, Oliver Ekman Larson may seem like he's toiling there for now, but, you know, there's players like Jacob Chikrin that are also very, very good and I think are going to be able to succeed um, at the NHL level at some point. There's just going to have to be a learning process, and I think that's what part of the move putting John Chaka into that front office role was all about, that they kind of saw the writing on the wall that they're like, we're not going to compete within the next two years, 
but we want to be able to build this up in such a way that we can actually take advantage of the way that the the CBA is put together right now. And they got a bunch of you know dead contracts. They got a lot of young players, and they don't really need to worry about anything for a couple of years. And I think from a GM standpoint, that's got to be satisfying, just because you know you have your plan and you're sticking to it, and you know you probably want you know a few more wins here and there, but it's not gonna you know change the way that you're going to build this team and I think that's uh, one of the things about analytics overall and the way that people go about building these teams uh, is disappointing to some fans don't you think like if if people slow play it and are kind of like you know you need patience uh, isn't that kind of disappointing on your like wouldn't you think as, as a fan uh, yeah I guess so but I think ultimately I think the key thing to cheering for a sports team is selling hope I'd much rather cheer for a team that's bad right now with a lot of hope for the future and a, and a process that I genuinely trust will ultimately result in, a, in success than a middling team that's pretty hopeless. And I mean, I've, I've cheered for both. Like I've, uh, being an Oilers fan, like I, I went through that, you know, goddamn rebuild that was just hideous and it wasn't done very well, but there was hope. There was a lot of hope. And I mean, they were drafting first overall Taylor Hall, Nugent Hopkins. And then again, a few years later with McDavid, the rebuild three point or whatever it was. But before I'll like go back to me cheering for that team in the mid two thousands and you know, your best players, Dustin Penner or Alish Hemsky or, you know, your best defenseman, Steve Steos. And it's just, there isn't a hell of a lot of hope. And I'd rather play the long game because I don't know, roster baiting over prospects and doing that, even if your team's bad is more fun than watching like a middling bad team without any prospects. I can say that for sure. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. Now, I guess that's the end of the episode today. Uh, it's fantastic, as always. In the weeks ahead, I think what we're going to end up doing is we're going to try to have a little bit more fan engagement, more uh, Twitter engagement into the show itself. Cam and I have been kind of playing with uh, doing something on Friday uh, involving possibly a game show, uh, maybe who you want on as a guest. We'll kind of put it up to what you what you guys want um, to make the show. Um We'll make it happen. Uh, with that being said, you can follow me at Sam underscore Blazer. You can follow Cam at Coom. Uh, make sure to rate and subscribe on there. We uh, would appreciate it. Move up some of the, the rankings in Canada and the US of A. Um, so we appreciate that. We appreciate you guys for listening. Until next time, bye. Bye. <laughs>